The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Father, we want to thank you that you are a God who cares for us. You're a God who loves us. Lord, we are amazed at your love. And we would ask you, please reveal more and more to us how much you love us. That that understanding may set us free from the worries and concerns that we hold about life. That we may look to you, trust in you, knowing that you are a God who is good and a God who is with us each and every day. We thank you, Father, for the life that you have given to us through your Son. And we pray even this morning, Lord, let the presence of your glory fill this place. Our hearts hunger for you. Lord, we long to know you better. We long to have your glory revealed to us. That each and every day we may walk in the light of your presence. Let the light of your glory shine in our homes and in our lives. Father, we want to know your peace in the midst of our relationships, amongst our children, our husbands, our wives, our mums and dads. Father, we pray, let the peace of your presence fill our homes. May we draw your glory to our lives. Lord, when we go out of our homes, to our schools, to our work, to the holidays, to the things that we're doing at this moment in time, Father, will your presence go with us to help us and to guide us. May it be like the presence of your glory, that ark of the covenant, would walk with us day by day. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, it is important for us to draw the presence of God to our homes. Don't neglect those times of prayer. Even those times sometimes when you feel a bit rushed, that drawing of the presence of God to your home is an important thing. It changes the atmosphere of your home. We're all living life, aren't we? We're all living life and we're all going through ups and downs. Or is anybody here? Anybody here's perfect life? Everything? No, no ups and downs? Not so many this morning. Okay. That's because life is life, isn't it? And it's throwing stuff at us. And some of it comes like a sledgehammer and some of it comes sort of secretly upon us. But in our homes, in our relationships with our families, around the meal table, we want peace. We want peace. We want to know the presence of God. And so therefore it's important for us to pray in our homes that the presence of God comes amongst us to strengthen us and to help us. You know, we've been looking, and today we're looking at the third of these, this God's way, God's will, doing the will of God. The way that God has for us to walk in is his will. It's what he plans, it's what he desires. So God has in his mind, he's got, I've got an idea for mankind, and I want them to walk in this way. That's his will. So when we walk in the way of God, we're walking in the will of God. Do you want to do God's will? As Christians, oh yeah, I want to do God's will. Okay, well, that means you need to follow his ways. Now that sounds fine of me just saying it. It's just that when we come up against things we don't like about his ways, oh, you're asking me to do that? Then we suddenly start saying, oh, okay, I don't want to do that. And we actually, when we look at it, we're disobeying his will when we do that. We started off and we've been looking a lot at Adam and Eve. Deceit, deceit, being deceived, 
brought us all into sin and it brought Adam and Eve into sin. And you know what? Deceit still holds uh, a, a problem for us. We are deceived as a people. In the garden, God said to Adam and Eve, or the serpent said, uh, said to Eve rather, you will not surely die, but your eyes will be open and you will become like God, knowing good and evil, if you eat of that fruit. The fruit which she had been told not to eat. But she was deceived and she did eat that fruit. And she fell into sin. And you know, it's the same today. We're still being deceived as a people. We're still thinking that the way we live our lives doesn't really matter. It's going to be all right in the end. Even amongst Christians, there's a lot of that. God is good. He is good. But he still wants us to walk in his ways. Outside of the church, then people think, well, it doesn't really matter how you live. As long as you're kind to people, as long as in the end you're good, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, as long as nobody gets hurt. That's the phrase that people say. As long as nobody gets hurt, what I do is fine. That's not the way that God looks at it. There is a deception in the world that it doesn't really matter how you live, things are going to turn out all right in the end. In fact, there's a deception in the world, and we spoke about this last week, the fact that actually people think we're going to live forever anyway. We all know we're not, but we act like we are. We act like nothing can happen. That's why it's a great shock. <gasps> Suddenly, somebody becomes ill, or somebody's in an accident, or something happens totally unexpectedly. It's great, this should never happen. Look, we're not in control. We're not in control. But we go through life thinking as though we are. Why? Because we're living in a deception. There's a deception. We get deceived. Sin deceives. Sin blocks. Sin corrupts. Sin confuses. Sin blinds. It has an effect upon our lives. Sin in Scripture is described simply as this lawlessness, an abandonment of doing what God asked us to do. We disregard his laws. We don't like these words like laws, commands and things because they sound so restrictive and so legalistic and so confined. But actually if we look at it in this phrase, a framework to get the best out of life, because that's what they are, then that framework is something that we all need. We like to know our boundaries. Children like to know their boundaries. Well, they don't always like to know them because when they're laid down, what, they, what I mean is they come up to fight them. They come up to test them. Where are the boundaries? Where are the resistances? How far can I go? Do you know what? We still try to do that even as grown-up Christians. How far can I go? How much can I get away with before God? No, we don't. Yeah, we do. We do. Even I do that. Because in our thinking, we're thinking like, well, oh, it doesn't really matter. It's not like we're trying to do big sins. Listen, you know what? God didn't say for Christians that he wants you as a Christian to try and sin as least as you can. Just, just, uh, uh, just try and make it a small amount, okay? You used to live with big sins. I mean, can we just make it a small amount now? That's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to be holy as I am holy. I want you to come out from that old system. I want you to come into this new system of life. Because I have a way for you to live. God's way. He has a way for us to live. And that way is for us, is the, for the best for us. Adam and Eve, they did this. Really. They disregarded the way. That's the simple message that I've been trying to get across. It's taken me three weeks to get to this point. <laughs> Good. Couldn't I have just said that on day one? 
But you see, we want to have a picture, we want to have a story, we want to have a background that we don't just think like, oh yeah, no, okay, I understand this better now. Adam and Eve disregarded God's way. You mustn't eat of that tree. They ate of the tree. They suffered the consequences. They now moved to a place where their lives were subject to God's wrath because God was a God of justice and he must punish sin. It's not because he hated Adam and Eve. We saw that. God hung around in the garden searching for them, looking for them. No matter what sin you have committed, whether it be last week or whether it be years ago, that is holding your life that you do not think you can be forgiven of, that is a lie of the enemy because God is pursuing you to forgive you. The blood of Jesus has power to forgive every sin. Every sin. Right now, I don't know who I'm speaking to, but I'm speaking into your mind. The thing that is holding you from the past, God, the power of His Son, Jesus Christ, has the power to release you from the guilt. Yes, we have done it. Yes, we don't deserve to be forgiven. But He forgives us. The blood of Jesus cancels. Cancels the power of sin. And we need to remember that. And that is what he was orchestrating in the garden because as we read about the issue with Adam and Eve, we start to see there where God came, he started to say what is going to happen in the future and how the woman's seed would crush the serpent's head. Praise God for that. Now, we have a problem with sin still today. We see it all around us. We see in one sense the increase of the activity of wickedness around us. But you know what? We were created, the Bible says, we were created by Him and for Him. That's how all of us were created. We were created by God and we were created for God. That means that we're not supposed to be independent. We're not supposed to be just selfish thinkers. We're not supposed to be looking after ourselves only. We're supposed to be God-dependent, God-directed people. We're supposed to be a people who are walking in His ways. And he has given us the instructions of life to follow. So following his instructions will enable us to be, get the most fruit, to get the most, as it were, out of our lives. And we know that God sent his one son, Jesus Christ, his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to be the perfect sacrifice, his blood being given so that we might be forgiven of our sins. And Jesus didn't just come to be that sacrifice. But he also came to show that as a man, as a human being in the world, he could live God's way. So that it gives us the encouragement that it is possible with the power of the Holy Spirit for us to do the same. It's possible for us to live God's way. That's how it can be. Guys, if somebody could just go out the back. Uh, Tim, can you just go out the back and check if everything's all right in the hallway? Thanks. And uh, so Jesus came, and he brings to us life. He gives to us, he enables us to be born again. You know, we use this phrase, born again. He enables us to be born again. And when we are born again, it means that we can go back to the beginning. 
We can go right back to the beginning. We can get things sorted out and we can start to live life afresh. So for you, no matter how old you are, when you receive Jesus and no matter what you've done before in your life and no matter what ways you were walking or what corruption had come to you, now you are born again, it gives you the chance to start over again. How good is that? We need to celebrate the fact that actually we're born again. There's something that's happened to us. We've been given the ability to make a fresh start. Now, I know sometimes we think like, well, actually, the fresh start, I'm, I'm not doing too good at the fresh start. Listen to this. I'm born again yesterday. I'm born again today. I'm born again tomorrow. I am living in being born again. Otherwise, what happens is, oh, I didn't do too well. I'm not being very good. Oh, I've got a chair to sit on this morning. Um, I might have thought I'd just make use of that. It's a little prop. Just make use of it. Have a little rest. Okay, I'm feeling all right again now. Um, we have that option. We're being born again. I'm living in the life of God. He's here to help me. He's here to strengthen me. So Jesus came, yes, to bring this salvation, to bring that. But Jesus came to live a life, to give us the ability to see a life being lived, to follow that life. So he came as an example. And look, I'm not just making this up. This is what the scriptures say. 1 John 2, verse 6. I said it last week. In the New International Version, it says, whoever claims, whoever is born again, we could say, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Or in the, uh, the New Living... Oh, in the, what is the TLB? Look, I know I put it there. The Living Bible, that's what it is. Hallelujah. I like the way it says it. Anyone who says he is a Christian... Are you saying you're a Christian? Listen to this. Anyone who says he is a Christian must walk as Jesus did. Why? Because Jesus walked God's way. That's it. simple. All we're being asked to do is, just, uh, here's an example, follow it. Here's the life of somebody. Do what they did. This is the life you have been called to. Oh, I haven't been called to a life of slaying my hands on the sick people and seeing them recover. Oh, yes, you have. Oh, but I tried it once. It didn't work for me. You see, that's where we get entrapped into the things of the enemy. The life that you have been called to is to walk the same life as Jesus did, to walk in his ways. Now, does this make sense to us? Just sort of nod your head. Does that make sense to you? Ah, good. Very good. That's the right answer. Good, it should make sense to us. But it is challenging. Okay, it makes sense to us. Well, that seems a good idea. God wanted to help us. He sends his son. That enables us to be released. It enables us to be helped in many and varied ways. So we are helped. Praise God for that. We're being helped. We have an example to follow. But it is challenging. Because some of the things that Jesus did were challenging. And you know what? We just need to pray, Holy Spirit, please come and help us get into alignment with God's purposes and will for our lives. Let us get into, a, into alignment of his way so that we can follow his way. Last week I mentioned another scripture, Proverbs 14 verse 12, and it says this, There seems a way that seems right to a man, but in the end there in the end, it leads to death. 
And that's the problem that we have. We can have this duality. There seems a way that seems right to me, but is that way what God wants me to do? So rather than pursuing our way, let's keep coming back and saying, God, what is your way? What is it you're asking me to do? That's why this book is important. It's important for nothing else that it is an instruction manual. Are you trying to be like I am when I get a new TV or something like that? A bit over clever? I know what to do. I plug it in here, I do this, I do that, and everything's going to be all right. And because it's happened once before, you get away with it. Or are you one of those persons that say, like, actually, I don't necessarily know all about this new piece of equipment. I better read the instruction manual. What type of person are you? Listen, this is the instruction manual we need for our Christian lives, for our born-again lives. Are you reading it? Only you can have the answer to this because only you know the truth. But listen, if you want truth and you want to know what God's way is, then this is essential reading. It's not casual reading. It's not perhaps one day reading. It's essential reading. That's not legalistic. That's just being sensible. The maker has instructions for us to follow. If we're not following them, we can get a messed up life. Hello? Let's get back to the word of God. Let's make it central to our lives. If you've let it drift, that's okay. We understand why things happen. Sometimes it gets difficult for me to read the word. It is difficult. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes I don't have time. I don't make it every day. Look, it's not a legalistic thing, but it is a guidebook for life. How far away from the guidebook are you? How far away? Let's come back into the alignment with the maker's instructions and get ourselves sorted out. Jesus came, but actually before Jesus came, he sent John the Baptist. God had a thing in mind. He wanted to prepare the way. So John the Baptist came and he started to preach about the fact that one is coming after me who's so glorious, I can't even untie his sandals. He is the one who's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. John was preparing the way for a people who were looking to get their lives sorted out. A people who were messed up. A people who knew actually things are not right. And this guy, John the Baptist, comes and he's starting to preach a message and he's starting to have impact upon people. And his message is, look, if you want to see change, if you want to be changed, if you actually want to live a changed life, then you've got to leave things behind. You've got to make a new start. And to indicate that, he's saying, listen, let's get baptized. And so he was baptizing people because they were saying, I want to make a new start. I want to live differently. I want to do things differently before God. That is what he was doing. But when John came and he saw some of the Pharisees, some of the people who were saying, this is the way that you need to live, and yet there wasn't God's fruit, there wasn't God's way being exhibited fully in their lives, he started to point it out. It began to get a little bit embarrassing. Matthew 3, verses 7 and 8. But when he, that is John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. There's no point in just saying, Oh, I'm sorry. There has to be a change. There has to be a change. Why? Because those are old ways. And we're not supposed to be walking in the ways of this world. We're supposed to be walking in the ways of God, which is the, the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not of this world. It's beyond. It's greater than. And that's the kingdom that we're following. And so John the Baptist came and he started to stir up the ground. Now Jesus comes with his ministry 
And Jesus, yes, is the Lamb of God. Yes, is going to be the Savior of the world. But yes, is a man following God's ways. And so he comes and he starts to teach God's ways. And if you're reading Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, you're reading there of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is Jesus just giving his preaching to the people. He's gathered the people together. He's got them all listening. And now he's saying to them, in effect, right, I'm going to teach you God's way. And I'm going to show you how that way differs from some of the ways that you're living in. I'm going to challenge you with what I'm bringing. And Jesus didn't come saying like, oh, forget everything that's gone before. Jesus actually came saying, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to fulfill them. I've come to do everything about the law. Why? Because the law is the will of God. The law is the way of God. The law is just the instructions. We don't like the word law because it says, like, I've got to do that. And as soon as you're told, I've got to do, you fight against it because in you is a sinful man. And he's fighting against everything. I want to be my own God. I want to do what I want to do. But you see, you were created by him and you were created for him. That's the right way. We were created to be in dependent relationship with God. We're created to come under his authority. Not exert our authority, but come under his authority. And Jesus came right from the beginning and said, Listen, I haven't come to upset all the law. I haven't come to say that's rubbish. I've come to say the law is perfect. And I'm not going to leave any of it undone. So he comes and then he starts to say, Listen, you've heard it said about don't murder. Of course people are saying, Yes, we mustn't murder. We wouldn't murder. That's very wrong. We want murderers dealt with. We don't want to have murderers in our society. We hate murder. And so Jesus is talking about this. He says in Matthew 5.21, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother is going to be subject to judgment. He's suddenly equating anger with murder. Because when we get angry with some people, we start to dismiss them. We start to cut them off. We start to sever them from our lives because of what they have done. Because of who they are. And Jesus is showing that attitude is not God's attitude. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end it leads to death. Or there is a way of God that leads you in the ways of righteousness and holiness. The way that God is. You want to know what God is like? then God would treat murder and anger with somebody in a similar way. And he wants us no longer to be going around being angry with people, but to get relationships sorted out as best as we are able, or certainly to do something about it. Jesus goes on to say, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. <laughs> no, we wouldn't commit adultery. That's very, very naughty. We shouldn't do that. Or words to that effect. And then Jesus just says to them, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already, has already, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What's the heart like? The act of adultery itself, physical adultery, can be seen so easily in the life of somebody. The act of mental adultery can't be seen. Not by us on earth, but it can be seen by him in heaven. Jesus came to show people and to give them the way that God wants them to live. He came to lay it out. 
He came to put it very plainly. He came to shake them up. He came to challenge them. Adultery, he talked about loving our neighbor. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. You can imagine the people were sitting there thinking like, some of them, not all of them, some of them are just taking it in, some of them are getting impacted, some of them are saying, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. What's he doing? Because he came to show people the way of God. But do we think it ridiculous? Oh, no, no, that's right. That's what Jesus said. Let's not get too pious about it. Jesus is asking us to follow all of the commands of God. Jesus is asking us to walk in the ways of God. There is God's way. There is the world's way. And we are being called away from the world's way. Being called to live God's way. And there are many challenges that are being thrown up. But that's the whole idea. And the whole idea for us here is to examine this, to understand this, to understand how sin came about, to understand what sin does, to understand how loving God is, to understand that God wants to, is just and wants to punish sin and has to punish sin, but how he has released us because he sent his son to be our saviour, to rescue us. But that's not just, oh, I've rescued. To rescue us from a former way of life that we may now live back in the right way, which is a way of dependency and it's a way of walking in God's ways. Another example of God's ways, and Jesus brought this out in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. This is given in Matthew 6, verse 9. He's talking to them about how you should pray and Jesus comes in like this, Matthew 6, 9. This then, he says to them, is how you should pray. Now we know that this prayer is known as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, as is shown in Matthew. But Jesus didn't just finish there, he went on to say... And he's picking up the line about forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. He says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus was laying down God's way to the people. And you see, we might say, well, we want to walk in God's ways. Not murdering, okay, and not being angry with my brother, okay, I'm working on that. Not just working on, you're asked to walk that way. And suddenly we're coming up with an now is something which can also challenge us. He's saying not just suggest you forgive, not just acknowledge, oh yes, I forgive them, to walk in total forgiveness. Total forgiveness. You see, how do we, do we want to be sort of like half forgiven by Jesus? Oh, I acknowledge, yeah, I did that. Okay, well, I, I, I sort of forgive you. I don't want to be half forgiven for my sins. I need to know that I am utterly forgiven, accepted, 
all relational barriers are washed away, all difficulty is washed away, I am now in relationship, full-blooded relationship with God. So there's no embarrassment, there's no elephant in the room, there's nothing that's been, oh, we're not going to mention that, I'll carry on with Jesus, but as long as he doesn't mention that, everything's going to be alright. It's done, it's forgiven, it's complete forgiveness. That's the standard, that's the way, that's the way that everybody who is a follower of Jesus needs to act. Now let's ask a different question. How difficult is that? It ranges from like, okay, I can do that because the situation you're thinking about is relatively simple to deal with. Or it goes to something like where you're suddenly saying like, hang on a second, you have no idea what you're talking about. The level of injustice that has come to me I was only a child when that was done to me. How can I have ever had been any part of that? And we could hear stories of abuse, of beatings, of violence, of hurt, of shame. People have been embarrassed in front of other people. Things that people said. A whole wave of injustices can rise up from our mouths and our personal experiences and come before God. And the level of that injustice, which if we're looking at it from a worldly point of view, we'd say like, you're right. But you see, we're not looking at it from a worldly point of view. That's the one thing that we're not looking at it from. We're looking at it from what God is saying, this is my way. This is my way. Because if you're going to live on earth and you're going to represent me, then you're going to need to live like I want you to live. And the way that I want you to live is to bring release to those captives, those people that have done injustice against you. Do they deserve to be forgiven? Well, when we sit down forensically and look at their crime, the answer is a clear no. So let's come back to ourselves. Do we want to be forgiven? <laughs> no matter how forensically we look at it, the answer is a resounding yes. And how did God act towards us? Utter grace and utter mercy. No matter how deep you went, no matter how difficult you were, no matter how evil or corrupt you were, he says, my son, my daughter, the power of my son Jesus Christ forgives you and I want relationship with you. Is this too good to hear? Oh, it is certainly good news and we need to hear it. And we need to understand it. The, the challenge with it is the way that we have been treated is the way that God demands that we treat others. And I use that phrase correctly, demands. He said, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not, if you do not, if you refuse to forgive men their sins, your Father will not, will not forgive your sins. So it strikes me that if we want to have an easier life, no matter what the injustice was, if we want to receive a, a goodness, if we want to receive blessing, if we want to be encouraged then uh, we need to be able to do this. This is following God's way. So it's easy to talk about, isn't it? It's easy to preach about. It's easy to speak about these things until we actually come down and realize, my goodness, this is actually cutting in. This is actually making a difference. This is affecting my life. 
and it's making a difference in my life and the way that I need to live it. You know, if, we, if you have read the Bible, or even if you haven't, then I would encourage you to certainly read the book of, uh, of Genesis. Um, and uh, please, uh, take a seat anywhere, that's fine. Um, read the book of Genesis, because there you're reading the book, or, or you're reading the story of Joseph. And in the story of Joseph, you see a level of injustice. Is it just level of injustice? You see a lot of injustice. Joseph, okay, he's the favorite and he shoots his mouth off a little bit with his brothers. We understand that. Do you get that in families? Of course we get it in families. Family life, okay. We all pretend family life is so wonderful. Well, it is wonderful, but it's also quite, you know, up and down. There are, uh, am I revealing things about my own household? <laughs> no, because it's true. It's true. Brothers and sisters fight and squabble. This happens. We see it happening. So we know these things go on. And in Joseph's household, there was squabbling. And, and Joseph just happened to be dad's favorite. Dad was a bit stupid. He did give him a gift. You know, like, oh, I'll give you a special coat of many colors. Well, where's mine? Uh, no, no, I've just given one to Joseph. Injustice, okay? Foolishness by dad. That happens. But it breeds resentment. And resentment among the brothers came to a point when Joseph came to see them one day when they were out working, they decide they want to kill him. So we've got injustice and motivating deep anger, deep frustration in their lives. And they want to execute this. In other words, they want to act upon this and they want to see justice. Well, they want to feel like that justice is being done for the brothers. In the end, because of God's mercy and grace, they didn't kill Joseph. No, but they did sell him to the slave drivers. <laughs> oh, thanks a bunch, guys. So they sold him to these slaves. They get cash for it. Joseph is done. That's the last we're seeing of him. All right, we didn't kill him. We've got to tell Dad. That, oh, and they actually come up with some story, and they just show the coat covered with blood. And Dad says, oh, no, a wild animal must have killed my son. That's convenient because everybody else can just stay silent. They don't have to say what happened because dad has now believed the story. Joseph, he's sold as a slave. How do you feel? Rejected, abandoned, sold as a slave, hated by your brothers. Do you think you're carrying some resentment? Oh, yes. But let's not leave the story there. Let's carry on a little bit more because now you get sold and actually there's a little bit of up that comes because you get sold to somebody to be a slave in the house of an executive person, somebody working in the government. And so this is good news. And in actual fact, you do such a good job, he elevates you to being top slave. So things are actually, they're not good, but at least they were better than they were. But the trouble is the guy's wife takes a fancy to you. She wants to go to bed with Joseph. Joseph, because he's a man of God, says, listen, I can't do that. And so she says, he tried to rape me. And before long, Joseph is in jail because of the accusation of attempted rape, which is a total lie and fabrication. He's in jail. How does he feel? Oh, he feels very happy. He really feels that life's going his way. Of course he doesn't. He feels like injustice. He feels wounded. He feels hurt. He feels like wronged. Where do, where, where do we want to stop? To cut a long story short, there's a famine that comes. Joseph, through the grace of God, is raised up as being somebody who is now second in command of the nation of Egypt. And that's a story in itself. But because his brothers need to find food, they come from where they're living 
over into Egypt and they find Joseph. And when they come in, asking for food, they don't recognize Joseph. But he recognizes them. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. And through various ups and downs, there comes a time when Joseph sends everybody else out of the room. There's just his brothers in the room. And he reveals who he really is to them. Brothers, it's me. Your brother, Joseph. Now, what's going to happen next? In one sense, there should be a massive fight right now. It's not fair. Listen to this. You sold me into slavery. You've done this. Yeah, but you had that coat. Dad loved you more than us. There's a massive... There isn't a massive fight. That happened outside. <laughs> it's actually just a fraction late. We'll get that cue better. Um, there isn't a massive fight. Because, you see, Joseph's heart has been transformed by God. And he is walking in God's ways. And so the first thing he says to his brothers and he exhibits to them is that he has completely forgiven them and is not holding anything against them. Now it did take a process for Joseph because in effect all of that work that God had to do in his life had brought him to this place where he turns to his brothers and he says something like this. I think I wrote it down somewhere in here. Oh please God. Joseph said this, but don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. So he's not, he's not forgetting about the issue, he's bringing it up. There's a massive elephant in the room. And so Joseph talks about it. He says, look, don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has raged the land for two years will last five years more and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Joseph said this, God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. God had worked in Joseph's life so that he could completely forgive his brothers. Release them. It's not just like, oh, you know what you did? I, uh, well, I've forgiven you for that. It's not, it's not even at that level. He's helping them know what happened is completely forgiven and is completely laid aside. And not only that, he's giving them a new understanding. You didn't even understand when you were doing that. I know that you really didn't mean it in the way that it came across. You didn't really understand what you were doing because now I can see that God was even working through that because he had a higher purpose. You see, that's complete forgiveness. It's not just saying like, oh, I know you did that to me and I've forgiven you. He's, he's, he's helping them come to a place of release. He's helping them to see, look, it wasn't your fault. You might be uh, really down on yourselves. I want to take you out of that place. I want to bring you to a place where you know, not only have I completely forgiven you, but God has worked in my life. In fact, God is working in the midst of this situation. So you are released. Now I have to say that actually for them, that did bring transformation to the relationship and eventually it brought back relationship with Joseph's dad and everything was good. But when Joseph's father died, Jacob died, 
the brothers themselves were still a little bit nervous. Has he really forgiven us? Because now that dad's out the way, maybe he was just waiting until dad got out the way and now he's going to execute his judgment over us. So you see how it happens. This is on there. They're still concerned. Am I really forgiven? And at the end of Genesis, again, they come to Joseph. Joseph, when dad, just before dad died, he said that you've got to be really kind to us. I can't remember the exact words, but that's the basis of it. You, you know, please forgive us. And Joseph just turns around to them and says, listen, guys, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good, all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. You can only speak kindly if there's no residue in the heart. You can't be that abundant in your care if there's still things that you're holding on to. That's the example of forgiveness. And the example of forgiveness is only one of the ways that God wants us to walk in. But it is a way that he has given for us to walk in. Guys, you can come up. Our challenge is, is that as we struggle with life, we're struggling with the things of life. It's really very much like Adam and Eve were. They were struggling. You can eat from any tree, but you mustn't eat from that one. There's laws and regulations that are being laid out. There's parameters that are being put out. They decided to go against what God said because they were deceived. We should not be in the same position. We're not deceived because we're being given revelation of truth. And that's why we need to take hold of it. And there is a certain childlike simplicity that we need to come back to the Bible. And I even say this to myself from the point of view that actually we get so familiar. Oh, this is the way it's done. This is the way you should behave. But actually when we start to read the Gospels again, when we start to read the Acts of the Apostles, are we doing what we've been asked to do? I find for myself one of the reasons I don't do what I'm asked to do is because I'm trying to work out how it's going to happen. Well, how can that be? What does God mean? Is he really asking me to do that? And we've got to let that go. And we've got to take hold of the fact of what is God saying to me? We've got to become more childlike. Stop trying to work it all out. How am I supposed to forgive somebody? Stop trying to work it out and come back to your Father, your Heavenly Father, and say, Father... I see the seriousness of your word. Please help me. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. That person hurt me so deeply. That wound is still so strong in my life. How do I get over that? How do I get beyond it? Because you see, we can't work it out. We need a father to help us walk it out. But if we decide as children to come with hearts that are just open, and you know what a child is like. You say to a child, look, I'll give you sweets after dinner. After dinner, what do they expect? They don't expect a TV program. They don't expect a walk in the park. They expect what you told them. They expect sweets. And God wants us to be childlike. Lord, you said this. You asked me to do this. Okay, I'll just receive it. I'll just put into practice what you do. We need to be childlike. We need to be obedient. And that's what God wants us to be. James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, he wrote this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't just listen to the word. And how much are we guilty of listening to the word? Oh, I know you should forgive. 
I know you shouldn't commit adultery. I know you shouldn't murder. How much do we know? Are we listening to it or are we doing what it says? We need to do what it says. I'm just going to finish with this uh, quote from an old hymn. If you know the hymn, Trust and Obey, there's no need to start singing it. I'm not going to this morning either. But the word says this, the first verse goes like this, When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. They're simple words. It's a simple hymn, but actually it's a profound, deep meaning behind it. All we simply need to do is to trust him and obey him. One of the other verses which I haven't got on the screen, but it just touched me this morning as I was thinking about it. It says this, but we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay for the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey and if we really want to know God if we want to walk in his ways we don't have a choice here we need to walk in his ways we need to give ourselves to those commands and we need to surrender to him so that he can do what he wants in our lives. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.